Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugs your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. What's your social history? Sorry? What to do? Tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? What is I know what this one is. That, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell and dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone. A Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Conversations Against Living Miserably, a podcast. <laughs> One of those things. Ah, yes. Uh, <laughs> My mom described it for us. It's like the radio, isn't it? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Conversations Against Living Miserably, a podcast where we try to find solace in a world where our brains are usually against us. Each week we chat to a different guest about how they try and live their life without misery, but we try and do it with a little bit of laughter, because otherwise that sounds like a pretty gloomy idea for a podcast. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Dave, the TV channel, and Calm, the campaign against living miserably. And as usual, your hosts are Aaron Gillis, which is me, and... Lauren Patterson, which is me. <laughs> I'm the girl one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, keeping that one. <laughs> ah, morning. Uh, terribly sorry about the week off last week. I uh, hope you didn't miss us too much. Basically, Lauren was away in Australia doing comedy things and being a famous comedian, and I just overslept, to be honest. I was going to come up with an elaborate excuse as to why I didn't publish the podcast, but no, sleep, tired, always tired. Also, a quick apology about the sound quality of this intro. Um, I'm in the middle of a field and uh, trying my best Adam Buxton impression. Uh, frankly, just a little bit lost, to be honest. Uh, anyway, um, this week's guest is Jack Rook. Uh, Jack is a comedian, campaigner and writer who has explored subjects such as grief, loss, anxiety and suicide in his Edinburgh shows and in his BBC Three documentary, 
uh, series Happy Man, which is absolutely excellent, and you can watch it on iPlayer now. This week we speak to Jack about being a mental health campaigner, how the conversations around mental health are changing, and horrible experiences with therapists. You've got to have a bit of a laugh at that sort of thing, haven't you? Just a content warning for this episode as well. Um, we do discuss suicide a little bit, so if that's something that you're not feeling like you want to listen to right now, or just want to kind of come back to it later, then just put us on pause and come back. But do listen to it, because... Uh, Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a good conversation. Um, also, if you could, uh, what's the words? Like and subscribe, rate and review, all of that sort of thing. That'd be amazing. Uh, it helps us get up the iTunes charts, and the more people that listen, uh, the more money that goes to Calm, because all of the ad money we make from this goes directly to uh, Calm. So by listening, you're uh, donating to charity. So you've done your good deed for the day. Woo! It's good, isn't it? Um, Anyway, I'm, I'm going to try and find my way out of this field. So here is uh, our conversation with Jack. Welcome to the studio, Jack Rock. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, our pleasure entirely. Would you like to ask the first question again? I feel like... <laughs> We got, we got like eight episodes in with Aaron always asking the first question. I think I've now made him self-conscious. Yeah, definitely goddamn fucking patriarchy. <laughs> yeah. I was taking over from the get-go. <laughs> so, when was the last time that you felt calm? The last time I felt calm was before I... Oh, God, oh no, my answer sounds like a plug, but it's not a plug, <laughs> for heaven's sake. The last time I felt calm was before I started writing a book. So I'm writing a book at the moment, and as soon as you know that you've got to deliver like eighty to a hundred thousand words, it doesn't matter if I'd be on like an island beach in Mauritius with like hot oiled like <laughs> Greek men fanning me with palm leaves. <laughs> I'm still shitting it pretty yeah. much at a constant rate. Um, so yeah, that was the last time I felt calm, probably before. So maybe this time last year. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, do you know what? This time last year was after the end of a really horrible sort of period of anxiety that I'd had. That, that, so basically, it's bizarre because I've I've done a lot of stuff for Calm and I'm sort of a long-term ambassador. I started ambassadoring for them in like <laughs> 2011. Yeah. I was oh, like, gee. yeah, I was like one of the original Power Rangers. <laughs> That's how I feel. I was the red one. I was the, yeah. And then... Um, <laughs> And then, and then, and so obviously, like, I've been very kind of like ingrained in the kind of mental health, um, I suppose, conversation, so to put it, for the last sort of five, six years. But when people used to talk about anxiety to me, I used to be like, oh, you're just a bit nervous. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just, you just had a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had a bad month? <laughs> A bit worried. Didn't, didn't sleep well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you a worrier? Drink some water. Do you know what you should do? You should go for a long walk. It really help. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, I got struck with it very, very badly from about November of 2017 until about April of last year, 2018. And it was like a crab that just slowly sort of sinked into my brain. And it's really hard to get out. And I was like, wow, no, this is what anxiety is. It's completely and utterly irrational. I sort of I felt a little bit kind of bad for sort of like sort of diminishing anxiety as sort of like depression's little brother. Because mm. I could understand depression, but anxiety, I was like, what are you really that worried about? Mm. And then I had it so bad to the point where I wasn't really working and I had stayed at home with my mum. I'm quite a big lad, shall we say. And I, for the first time in my life, even though like I've been through 
quite a lot of severe grief and bereavement and hassle in my in my time. The first time in my life I've actually had no appetite. Like, when people would be like, oh, yeah, my, my dad died, and I just lost, like, three stone instantly, I'd be like, fuck off. <laughs> fuck you. And then I got anxiety, and I was like, this is such an effective diet. <laughs> I can't eat anything, and I can't sleep, and I'm just sort of, like, walking and running and jogging into walls. Yeah, completely. <laughs> and then it started to lift around, sort of, March, April of last year. And yeah, and then I felt really, really calm for about three weeks. It was amazing. I'm sort of walking around and all my friends did the sort of cliche thing of being like, you look so great, you seem so happy, well done. And then I signed a book deal. (laughs) (laughs) And that's my first world problem. (laughs) Did you naturally come out that anxiety um, low or was that something you worked towards or is it just something that naturally lifted? Do you know what? I mean, it was a weird anxiety. I, I speak about it a lot, actually, in the book, but it's it was kind of triggered by Order 2017 actually speaking so much about mental health and so much about suicide. And I made a BBC Three documentary all about it, and then I did an Edinburgh Fringe show all about sort of losing a close friend to suicide. And just speaking about suicide every day for a month is not right. <laughs> Especially still, when there's, like, yeah. no real aftercare put in place or any, like, psychotherapist or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I just felt, like, a whole year... I felt like I'd spent a year being sort of poster child for, like, friendly, warm chats about suicide. <laughs> and then by the end of it, I was like, God, I'd quite like to kill myself. <laughs> and it was dreadful. I mean, really, really dreadful. And I think the way I sort of worked out of it was to actually take a bit of a step back from that and and to sort of generally, like try to I'd done the sort of like (laughs) there was sort of one incident that kind of really badly triggered it where I got in trouble for doing something Mm -hmm. wrong and I'm not going to divulge quite what that thing was the mystery the mystery Um, I did something really I did something not lawfully wrong But civilly wrong. Okay. <laughs> Where the civil courts could have. <laughs> I did say naughty. Let's let's say it was like a driving fine. It's not a driving fine, but it's like that bad. Mm-hmm. But like actually, in the grand scheme of things, not that bad. Yeah. And I just went mad. I was like, well, this has happened. This has happened, and now my life's over. And I've, I've just I'm an absolute wreck and a mess. And what's the point of everything? Mm-hmm. And it actually, I I think I very slowly came out of it just by sort of allowing the irrational an irrational voice took over and it was just allowing that irrational voice to gradually get less prominence and platform in my brain and having a lot of really good friends who were like I suppose really literate in kind of caring about people's well-being and mental health whatever but were also quite hardline like this is fucking stupid come on now Mm -hmm. and I think I've always been quite a champion of a bit of a balance of that because I think there's sometimes I speak to people who kind of talk about mental health and they talk about it in such an oversensitive sort of clinical soft way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, every now and then you need someone to be like, cheer the fuck up, like pull your socks up, do something about mm-hmm. this. And that doesn't mean that they're being insensitive or trivialising what you're going through. It's a bit of tough love, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It just means they love you. That's yeah, it. completely. Yeah. And and also like fear and love operate on such a like same axis almost. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, if somebody you really love is telling you to come the fuck on, it's probably because they're as frustrated and lost as you are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I, I think I was really lucky. I just had really great friends around me who sort of helped me kick it out of it. And then, yeah, I mean, also, you can't really 
mope around being like, oh, I'm so useless when like someone's going, we'd like you to write a book. Yeah. <laughs> or we'd like you to write a book. Which one do you want to go for? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, so yeah, I definitely think that helped. And yeah, that was probably the last time I was calm. So that was quite a long-winded way of saying mm. April 2018. <laughs> Absolutely love it. So now when you kind of, because you still do talk about mental health and, yeah. and suicide and all these issues and you do amazing work with calm do you now make sure that you don't let it become all-encompassing to or a detriment to your own self because yeah for me i i found that out the hard way as well when i was just talking about all these subjects that were very heavy and i just didn't look after myself whilst i was talking about it yeah but everyone else in front of me to my own detriment i got really ill and, and, and but so how what do you do nowadays well i think it's about for me personally sort of um not like it's a really bizarre thing because I think that mental health right now has has hit its like full peak saturation in terms of like the mainstream conversation. Yeah. Like, you know, I I was a bit sort of I get and and the th- and the, I think the thing that I find annoying having you know and this is not me being like I cared about mental health first. It's not me <laughs> saying that, but like. Seven, eight years ago, when Calm was based in a tiny office that genuinely stunk like feet, like it smelt like the worst case of athlete's foot you could ever imagine, and it was just five people in there trying very hard to get like the tabloid press to care that men were killing themselves at a disparate rate to women, and no one did care for a long time. Um, like that conversation was really important to have. It was important to tell men to open up and it was important to try and encourage talking. And then as that time's gone on, the mental health conversation has progressed, which is brilliant, but it's also been really co-opted by a lot of corporations and a lot of media outlets and a lot of places that don't really give a fucking shit about people's mental health, Mm -hmm. but are using that as a vehicle to essentially profit off of other people's trauma. Yeah. And profit off of like, hey, we are, hey, we're Dugga 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 brand and we're really friendly and we care about you. But our staff are all fucking miserable as sin and our boss has been paid a bonus and no one really gives a fuck. But look at this amazing campaign we're doing. Yeah. Like, And I've seen that so, I mean, I've seen it, I, I almost feel like I've seen it nearly a hundred times now. It's like the last two years, it's become really quite a bad you know, epidemic of, I think, exploitation. And I definitely played a part in that at at some point of not necessarily, like, being the exploiter, but being exploited and being part of those sort of, like, quite faux campaigns, really. And I think that kind of chiselled me down a bit because I was a bit like... There were some things I made where it was very interesting how people would really want me speaking about my friend Ollie and they would... So, so for example, I would always describe my mate Ollie as a close friend. We went to university together. I know him for like two, three years. He was brilliant. He was a lot. He was about six years older than me. Gave me a lot of brilliant advice. But I'd never describe him as my best mate. Like I have another best mate, <laughs> and also Ollie's best mates aren't like. Do you know what I mean? But as any time I spoke about him, it'd be like Jack lost his best friend. Right. Yeah. To and and it would be so like they just make this really sort of concerted effort to like really dramatize and what i call sort of x-factor sob story yeah and i remember like filming this one bit in a thing that i made that i'm generally actually quite proud of this is different to some other projects but it was like filming sort of at ollie's grave and and sort of almost being like oh my god i 
I'm being sort of pressured to cry here because they need some emotion on camera and me being like, this is wrong. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. like anyway, and I think sort of that kind of, I don't know, emotion porn angle yeah, that's like come fetish apparent. Fetish fetishizing? Fetish 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 fetishizing. 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 <laughs> we get there in the end. What's the shize bit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a way. And I think... And so that was frustrating. So me having a sort of time of talking about it, now, any time I'm going to speak about it, it's going to be, you know, a podcast like this, which I know Karma involved in, and I know that people are clued up to it. Mm -hmm. And it isn't just like, hey, we're, insert brand name here. I'm conscious of not saying brands because <laughs> I don't want to get sued. So yeah, so essentially, I just used to get very frustrated and I got very angry by the fact that I would just constantly read people, either in their books or in magazines or in newspapers say this sort of like you know thankfully I was really lucky that I could see a psychotherapist and not everyone can afford it and then full stop at the end of that sentence mm. and I'd be like that's completely fair enough and amazing you're aware that you're lucky but then that doesn't that full stop isn't there like you have to then try and do as much as you can to help the people who can't afford the you know 100 quid Harley Street therapy session Indeed. and I just feel like the prominent voices in that mental health conversation never got past that they mm. were like i'm actually fine now this is my sob story this is how hard it was for me and look at me i'm great and i'm not going to do fucking diddly squat <laughs> to help anyone who can't have the same journey as me and that was really frustrating because i just thought you're not really enabling like the average normal human being who's gonna access that content so to speak to actually access any help yeah because it's so difficult because these problems are so individualistic and we all go through our own different things with them. Mm. And when I wrote my book, I was very much along the same thing. I read a bunch of books which are basically misery porn yeah. of someone going through their journey saying, I was fixed this way, this way, this way. It'll probably work for you. If you're poor, you're probably fucked. And at the end, yeah. I'm great. And I got to the end of all these books, I was like, I'm, I feel empty. I'm like, yeah. I, I feel like I haven't learned anything. <laughs> There's nothing I can take away from this book that's going to help me in my day-to-day -day life. And sharing stories and making sure that so many people have access to these different things is one of the great things about Twitter. I know like Twitter's a bit of a shit show at the moment, but people yeah. can, of all walks of life can tell their stories and making sure that people have access to uh, so many different ways of getting help. Um, Completely. Like when you said the therapy thing, I couldn't afford therapy mm. when I was younger. I had to go on the fucking waiting list for the NHS mm. and took about half a year. And then the only one they could get me to was three hours from my house. Okay. So it was a whole yeah. day off work I had to take. So I was losing money to go get therapy. And it's just kind of like, no one ever tells you about that. And it bits. isn't like a comfortable thing to do, no, is it? It like... isn't. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're quite good and you say that kind of like we've reached this peak of where the conversation is at the moment and where do we go next? Yeah. And it's such a beautiful question to ask because whilst... The conversation is there now. We are hopefully getting more comfortable talking about these things in a public forum. I yeah. know. We're, I mean, we're all here sat talking on the podcast. So we're obviously quite comfortable expressing these things, but a lot of people yeah. are. Mm. What do you think those next steps are? I think those next steps are things like addressing the fact that... Well, the next step for me... So I'm going to talk about it. I'll answer in a dual way. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so for me personally, as somebody talking about it, it would be nice to be able to say, hey, I've lost this friend and this was shit and this is what he was like and this is our relationship. It's important to open up. And then for that conversation, the next part needs to be like, and the reason I believe that he's not here is because he didn't get, there was no early intervention service. They didn't spot his symptoms sort of quick enough in his sort of deterioration and his mood and his thoughts and where he was going. Like what I have found up until now is that everyone's totally fine with me kind of like legacizing my mate, so to speak, but won't ever let me say, oh, and this is the reason why he's in that grave. Yeah. And they will never, and, and that isn't a case of, being like fuck the Tories or fuck this, like it's not, it's not really that political in that sort of way. I think people worry that all of a sudden someone's just going to go on like some sort of Tory bashing thing. Yeah. That's never been really my agenda because <laughs> um, I'm a massive Tory. No, <laughs> 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 but um, and and it's just a shame. So for me, the the future is to be able to pair that story with something that has a solution attached to it, which is like reforming a lot of those sort of access to service type points. So I try, I did an Edinburgh show in 2017 called Happy Hour, where I essentially was trying to sort of tell uh, the sort of truth about how like, I feel like my mate's mental health deteriorated when he moved back home. So he moved from London, which generally all the mental health trusts in London are, are at real like breaking point, but are functioning mm-hmm. at least. And there's money in there. And he moved from there to like Bognor Regis in a seaside town that was one of the fourth rate, worst rated like mental health trusts associated to it. And I'm like, well, you know, we don't necessarily have as much of like a north-south divide anymore in England, so to speak, but we definitely got like a rural divide. Like if you're from a seaside town that's got no injection of like care or like help to it, or if you're from like a place that's just really run down, whether that's in a city or in like, you know, 20 miles away from the nearest town, like you're going to feel really isolated. And it is a bit of a postcode lottery. So it'd be good to address that. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to sort of get quite specific action. Oh, I love it. No, God, really. I sound like a politician, don't I? It's horrible. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's just generally getting people to understand why the services 
are aren't in good nick mm-hmm. so to speak yeah and i think you know particularly for me what upsets me is that like i look at ollie and i think he could have been so much better had his issues essentially been dealt with earlier on in his life yeah and then i look at the state of like child and adolescent mental health services which is known as cams and if you were to really look at the funding into them i mean it's it's diabolical like children's mental health services are in a total state of like disrepair with just generally like incredible staff force leaving because they can't cope with it anymore that's where i worry because Really, I'm not so much worried about like the 40-year-old man who's worked in the city all of his life having a crisis. It's like the 11-year-old kid who like lives in the seaside town that might be gay or might be this or might be is struggling with completely no access to anything. And they don't have an access to like, you know, that kind of trendy best-selling book that someone's written about mm-hmm. like the time they had depression and whatever. Like, And that worries me that we kind of ignore them in a way and because we don't understand it so that's where i'd like the conversation to go so that people are aware that actually the generation coming up all beneath us are really having a hard time yeah indeed. Like they really can't access the services because it really is genuinely being pulled yeah and and yeah so and then i think another thing is just so generally i have to sort of like be feel a bit basically it really pisses me off Mm -hmm. and what annoys me about it is it sort of turns me from like sort of comedy writer who loves writing jokes and actually quite likes being silly to all of a sudden this like fucking vapid (laughs) like angry like spitting hell at everyone (laughs) because we just like i because i think i get annoyed about the fakery of it and then i get annoyed about the the removal of the important stuff and then i also get annoyed because like because people do care on the whole you could give people all of these facts and it wouldn't all of a sudden sway a political election it's not going to make everyone care it's not party political situation here because my dad died under a whole different government and they were still shit then like you know it's not as on the nose as that but the annoying thing is it's like people would be able to grasp this it's really not like scary political clause act inquiry type stuff it's like just basic you know knowledge and awareness and i just find it i get them frustrated at whoever the gatekeepers are yeah. at not allowing people to know that and then i have to sort of calm down and sort of sit with my mum and eat a chocolate cake <laughs> and just watch like you know that oh my favorite program to watch when i'm a bit pissed off is long lost family you know the one where davina mccall reunites abandoned children with their parents i love that fucking that's what makes me happy again i'm like thank god (laughs) there is calm place but yeah i feel even now i feel like i've just scared you both (laughs) wonderful quote though isn't it if you're not angry you're not paying attention Mm -hmm. i don't ever want to kind of trivialize someone sort of sharing their story or whatever but that's kind of why i did get annoyed about like the pop star who's making the mental health documentary getting it wrong because i'm like you have got a huge platform Platform. to educate people and if you're already going to get it wrong before you've even put the thing that you're making out then you know that is that's a disservice to a wider conversation that needs as much sort of like you know education and people being clued up as possible on how long that journey can take and also the fact that like you know i'm conscious to say this because of whoever's listening because therapy is a very good thing always but like 
I've been to see maybe two or three therapists over like my adult life and I've never really got on with them mm. and 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 that is not to say that I won't try and find another one because I do think it's it takes a while it takes a while to find that right person or that right method of therapy you know imagine how hard it is on the NHS when you've got to wait however many weeks to just get one appointment and if that person's wrong or they don't yeah. get it or yeah. or also like there's also so many different parts of mental health that are affected by look i don't want to go into like the mad fucking density of identity politics because it drives me fucking up the wall anyway <laughs> but like i would probably really love to at some time speak to like another gay person as a psychotherapist mm-hmm. to be like well this is bits of it shit isn't it yeah. like and that's a quite different sort of identity set of experiences that like I would perhaps maybe look... I've never had a gay psychotherapist. It could be like... If you're listening. I don't think I'd have a gay... I think I'd go for a lesbian. I trust him more than gay <laughs> um, but, but, um But, yeah, like, I, I kind of... You know, I've never had that experience before in the same way that I know a lot of my friends who, you know, from different minority groups much prefer to speak to someone mm-hmm. who, like, comes from the same culture or the same exactly. race or whatever. Because, and it's probably the same for young people as well. I think there's this sort of stereotype that therapists are like old stuffy middle class people and I personally would feel so much more comfortable talking to someone my age or someone like I need like a young trendy like drunken anti therapist yeah like that's what I need like need Fiona Shaw's character in free back now who's just like have you got any friends no right so you're just having a lot of sex (laughs) yeah I mean I think um that's it and I definitely encourage anyone who's thinking about that like just bear in mind that the first therapist you meet, you might not get on with at all. Yeah. The first therapist yeah. I met is quite sort of like a story that has been like two or three of my stuff. Is like this bereavement counselor I met when I was fifteen, just after my dad had died. She came round to our house, and she was this woman in her seventies who was Canadian, who just basically sort of sat with me and my mum opposite me and my mum in our living room, and was just like, oh. No, like looking at photos oh, no. of my dad around the living room, me and my mum just being like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and she just kept on saying like questions to my mum, like, what do you see yourself doing now? Where would you like to be? And she's, and my mum was definitely in the sort of mood of like, well, I'm a fucking husband back then. <laughs> <laughs> is that an option? Like, <laughs> um, and like, what a stupid question. She'd say things like, and what did, you know, what did Lawrence love about you, Josephine? And my mum would just, my mum would want to be like, well, my tits. Um, <laughs> Like, like, and it's so weird. It was someone like a real stranger, especially when it's like a mm. session at your house. Yes. And then she kept on asking these weird questions and she kept on wriggling in our armchair. And we were like, what is wrong with this woman? <laughs> like, she's just very bizarre. And then all of a sudden, she just farted <laughs> really, really powerfully, like really <laughs> loudly. And me and my mum just sort of looked at each other and we were like, did that just happen? <laughs> Did she just fart in our counselling session? And then you noticed that it clear. And this is honestly, my mum actually tells this story in this Radio 4 show. I get her to do it because people never believe it. And my mum can't lie. Uh-huh. So this is how everyone knows it's the truth. But she, this, this counsellor woman just started like, kind of like sort of shaking and really wriggling. And then we realised she'd obviously followed through. Oh, no. And because the smell hit. <laughs> And once the smell hit, I was like, this is despicable. 
and also <laughs> have like, some decorum we are yeah. grieving here <laughs> yeah essentially and she left about five minutes after oh and was God. like i'll email you in the week we'll do another session and I sent her an email back being like, we're okay, thanks. Yeah, please don't come around and please shit in our house again. Please do not shit on our armchair again. <laughs> We've been through enough. <laughs> but yeah, that's my mum's, my mum, that's my, the one and only time my mum has ever sought out therapy. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, I just don't think it's for me. Yeah. It's quite like, a bad experience. They all shit themselves. They're, they're not all 70 Canadian with bad bowels. Like, <laughs> we're okay. Maybe she just came in to use the toilet and then ended yeah. up being sort of, oh... Oh, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm a, like that guy who turned up accidentally <laughs> to the BBC for an interview. Yeah. Maybe she was just like, oh, I only wanted a shit, but... Her eyes oh. just popping out. <laughs> I mean, but in a weird way, the way that my mum tells it in my show, or my old show, was that she was like, I loved it, because it was the first time we just looked really, really laughed at mm-hmm. someone. She was like, it really did me good. Just yeah. to have like attention. a proper like laugh at this woman <laughs> at her expense. I was like, okay, mum, good for you. I'm glad... I'm glad it would have been nice if she'd have helped us, but yeah. she did in a way. Because I always thought that like therapy's like dating and it takes you a couple of times to find mm-hmm. someone that you are more than happy to be around for yeah. an hour a week. Yeah, completely. Um, and but for me, i like one of the first therapists I went to see after our the end of our session, he looked down at his sheet of paper, looked back at me and just said, If I was you, I'd be depressed as well. <laughs> And I just sat there. I didn't know what to say. So I got up and went to leave and shook his hand. And I stood at the bus stop and I lit a cigarette. I just burst out laughing. I yeah. didn't know how to handle it. That was like the fucking stupidest thing <laughs> a therapist could ever say to you. That is, I was just like, I think almost the worst thing. Yeah. yeah. I was just kind of like, how did that happen? And it's just like <laughs> yeah. absolutely bonkers. Was but he trying to be empathetic? <laughs> I think he was trying to be nice, but it just came out as the worst thing anyone's ever, ever said. I once had a therapist who told me about another comedian who they were being the therapist of. And I was like, well, you're obviously shit, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) You've broke the first rule of your job. The first rule of therapy club. (laughs) I've got to do a gig with that person in two weeks' time. (laughs) Don't tell me that you're having sessions with them as well. And here we are today. (laughs) (laughs) Lauren, you're on the waiting list, baby. You wouldn't want this one, trust me. It was, Is yeah. that why I'm waiting so long? You're fucking <laughs> hogging up. Give us me therapist, Jack. <laughs> so, oh, last question is, if you could go back to like your younger self and give yeah. some advice on sort of mental health and living like without misery, what would your advice be? My advice to my younger self would be to not roll your eyes when people say that exercise is good for mental health. <laughs> somebody would be like, have you tried running? And I'd be like, have you tried fucking off? <laughs> and actually then, every time, like right now, I've started going to the gym again because I've like been sat writing a book so I've just eaten copious amounts of chicken selects. Mm. Um, so like now I'm sort of going back into it and I'm like, wow, it does make me feel great after. Like genuinely, that has really helped. Um, I think sort of like being... A little bit more, I don't know, like, I, I definitely think there's some times whereby you can, oh, it's quite a hard question. Yeah, and I did, I did get told this question before the recording. Secretly prepped you. I'd probably tell my younger self as well to stop worrying so much about things. I think, you know, this is something that through my sort of stuff at Calm, volunteering and speaking to other, like, 
young people who've been bereaved quite early on, you get almost you develop this worst case scenario syndrome. And it's something I speak about a lot sort of at the top of this book because I think it puts in context the sort of person I am. Because I think that we all have one friend that we're a bit worried about. And I have both had that friend and been that Mm -hmm. friend. Mm -hmm. And I think when I have been that friend, it has very much been because when you lose someone early on in life and it's not the right order necessarily that you should or is is supposed to happen, you kind of go, okay, well, actually, anything horrendous can happen at any given moment. And I think I lived pretty much from about 15, from when my dad died, to about 24. (laughs) Genuinely, I mean, I didn't go on holiday until last year. It's like the first time that I'd actually gone away. And that's sad because I didn't go on any like lads holidays or gay lads holidays <laughs> or girls holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Quite frankly, I did none of the three options available. Um, I just had a vision of a gay lads holiday <laughs> and I want in. I want in. <laughs> Even then I'd go on a gay lads holiday and I'd make sure I was the only gay lad on it. <laughs> Be like, come on, let's get all the 20 straight best mates I've got. <laughs> Um, but worst case scenario syndrome sort of really made me just be like, well, if I go away, then my mum's going to die or this person's going to die. or, and, and it really makes you sort of live your life in this very stinted, scared because you'll ever get hurt way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really dogged my early 20s. And it's really made me a very angry person. There's definitely times, and it's really been in the last year since having that bad spout of anxiety that I've really learned to look at that because the worst case scenario syndrome worked completely in a good way made me very ambitious made me be like I'm going to achieve what I want to achieve but then it also completely stunted me prevented me from ever sort of trusting anybody in a relationship (laughs) prevented me from really like feeling just like carefree Mm -hmm. feeling like oh yeah actually like life isn't going to throw like a million different things and it totally makes sense why that happened because you know my dad died very suddenly at 15 and for a good year I was really worried about Ollie's mental health and I didn't really speak to him that much and then I spoke to him about 10 days before before you know he died and and you know you have that constant worry when you know somebody has got a really bad illness that you know that they might do something one day or that you know it might happen and in my case it did and that is shit and it's like will always be shit and the most important thing I can do is remember how amazing he was. Mm-hmm. and But but being bereaved by that leaves you with a slight symptom of being like, well, it could happen at any time, and it did happen. And I remember my mum being like, well, you know, I'm sure it's, he's going to be fine, and being like, well, actually, he wasn't. And, you know, that's not my mum's fault for saying that. Everyone's mum's going to be like, it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, in that case, it really wasn't. <laughs> the worst-case scenario did happen. And to try to not be permanently damaged by that it's hard, but I think it's important because Ollie would want me to go on the lads' holiday and the gay lads' holiday <laughs> and the girls' holiday <laughs> to wingman him. Like, mm. Do you know what I mean? So He wouldn't want you to like, stop living your life. Completely. Yeah. And he also wouldn't want me to be constantly talking about suicide and sad shit all the time, mm-hmm. which is why, like, you know, outside of the book, I'm trying to write just pure stand-up and yeah. just jokes and stuff that isn't about it at all because that's as important. Um, so yeah, I'd probably tell myself to just be a little bit like carefree more and not worry about it because if the worst case scenario happens, you'll deal with it. And mm-hmm. I'm quite lucky that I think we all are lucky that things like this are existing, conversations like this are being had. And 
whilst sometimes I get annoyed where the mental health conversation is going, there's always going to be something that does actually genuinely mean something and does actually help people. So, yeah. Beautiful. Mm, thank you. Done. Lovely. Thank you so Lovely. much. Thanks, crew. Oh, no, our pleasure entirely. We hope you can take something from this podcast away with you in your day-to-day life. Whatever situation you're in, you're not by yourself. We can share our stories, share our experiences. We can help each other know that things do get better. All the money that we make from adverts on this uh, podcast goes directly to Calm. Uh, However, if you've got uh, some extra money, uh, I don't know your financial situation, uh, you can go to uktv.co.uk forward slash day forward slash Calm. Uh, there's a big red button on there where you can donate some extra money to Calm if you want to. They are an incredible charity that do some amazing work. Uh, so any extra money you have, that would be grand. Um, I'm still in a field, by the way, recording this outro. Um, lost the original outro on my laptop, uh, so doing this one here. Um, it's hard on life, isn't it? Um, yeah, so if you could just... Uh, I'll probably cut all this bit out, to be honest. Uh, If you could rate, review, like, subscribe, tell your friends about the podcast. The more people that listen, the more money that goes to Calm, uh, which is a nice thing to do, isn't it? Um, And, yeah, that's that's it, really. Uh, Thanks to Lauren, obviously. Brilliant. Uh, Thanks to Dave for letting us uh, make this silly podcast. Uh, Thanks to Calm for doing all the amazing work they're doing. Thanks to Alex Feldman, who edited the interview this week. And, um... Oh... Well, thanks to you, I guess, for listening, because otherwise it's just two uh, comedian and a comedy writer sat in a booth annoying famous people. Um, So, yeah, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. And uh, tune in next week where I will definitely release one and won't oversleep. All right. Bye, 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 bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Would you give your mum, dad, aunt or that uncle who hugs your partner a little too long free access to your phone? Oh no! Oh my god, it's, it's a really long video! Ew! In Dave's brand new YouTube original, Get Off My Phone, we've got six comedians to give their phones over to a relative with total freedom to read messages, DMs, photos and browser history. Where's your social history? Sorry? What to do, tips for relief. The rules are simple. Their relative can read anything they want and even make calls from the comedian's phone. What is this? What is this?
I don't want this one. <laughs> that, that looks really okay. bad. Starring Tanya Moore, Anya Magliano, Finlay Christie, Travis J with his mum Angie Lamar, Hayley Morris, Grace Campbell, and dad Alistair Campbell. Slightly sexually compromising <laughs> Divulging their deepest digital secrets. <laughs> what the hell is happening? Get off my phone, a Dave YouTube original. Available now on Dave's YouTube channel.